Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It might not be something you expect during Lent, but take a look at today's reading from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and you will notice the word rejoice. Three times we hear the word rejoice. Rejoicing is something that Christians do, even during Lent. Paul says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings and we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice when we first recognize that something deserves celebrating. And in today's text, there is much, much, much to celebrate. Up to this point in his letter, Paul has spent considerable ink dropping bombshells left and right. He writes about God's wrath on unrighteousness. He writes that those who claim to be self-righteous, and yes, that includes you and me from time to time, actually practice the very things that they condemn in others. Paul warns of God's coming wrath and fury. The apostle writes of God's judgment according to the law, that none is righteous by observing the law. My goodness. Really? But then he shifts his focus. And his priority becomes not what we do or what we don't do, but Paul proclaims what God has done and what God has accomplished. And so he writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here is your cause for rejoicing in each and every season. In chapter 3, he writes, You're justified by faith. He says the same thing in today's text. And maybe that word means nothing to you. So let's fix that so that you might believe that you have ample cause to rejoice. To understand justification, I need you to do me a favor and put yourself in a courtroom. Put yourself in a courtroom. You are the defendant. And armed with God's law, Paul has spent the better part of three chapters building a case against everyone, including you. And you have quite the list of infractions. No honorable judge of right mind would let you off the hook. And when it comes to a righteous decision from the court, you deserve the death penalty. Period. Both physical death and living without God's presence, which is physical death. You deserve the death penalty. Period. But what happens? God, the righteous judge, pardons you. He declares you righteous. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, let's unpack it. He declares you the spotless, the blameless, the perfect kind of righteous. By some sort of miracle you have received God's undeserved favor, his full undeserved favor. All on account of the one who pleads your case, Jesus Christ, who not only pleads your case, but purchased and won you from sin and death by his perfect life and then spilling his holy, precious blood to the point of death as a payment 
for all of your sins. It sounds too good to be true, but this is not the stuff of legal loopholes. Someone has actually taken your punishment. It wasn't forgotten. It wasn't left unpunished. God didn't just let it go. He placed it all on Christ. All of it. It's been paid for. Atoned for in theological terminology. Rejoice! You have ample cause to rejoice. You were on death row. Dead person walking! But pardoned. Not by the governor. Not by the president. But by God himself. God himself. Rejoice. Because what Christ has done goes beyond cold, official, legal ramification. And because you've been justified, because you are perfect and spotless, you have peace with God. This is not just an absence of conflict, but rather a healthy, holistic, restored relationship. Peace. The kind of peace that only God can give. And it comes from God truly seeing you as righteous on account of what Christ did for you. Rejoice. Rejoice. One of the things that a judge who has mercy on an offender will say many times is, don't let me see you again. Or maybe you have a particularly hard-nosed boss or teacher And what is your reaction when that person comes around? (laughs) Here they come. Uh, Duck. Hide. Get out of here. Get in. Get out. Live to see another day, right? Through Christ, that is not God's will. We have access to God. His full presence. And we stand in His full favor. We don't get zapped. We don't groan like Isaiah. Woe is me, although we should. We don't have to keep our distance out of fear, right? I steered clear of my dad a lot of times. We don't have to keep our distance out of fear. And if we can stand in God's presence, if you can stand in God's presence without fear, without any fear, rejoice. Where sinners could once not look at God and live, Christ now gives us full access to God's glory. Not just without reprisal, but with a healthy, whole relationship. Where once you had no entry, you have now been given VIP status, see? Front row seats, up close and personal. Where things stood as an impossibility with man, God has accomplished in Christ. Rejoice. Rejoice in the glory of God. Knowing that you too one day will receive a glorified body, much like Christ's own glorified body. Yes, rejoice. This hasn't happened yet. It is a hope, but hope does not mean misplaced trust, but rather confidence in a future event. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So if God has gone to such length for sinners like you and me, 
done such great things for sinners like you and me, if we have such a bright future to which we can look forward, then the way that we view present suffering changes, right? The way that we view present suffering changes. Now, I know we don't readily rejoice in suffering by nature. We seek to avoid suffering at all costs. And if you're like me, something as innocuous as a set of lost keys or spilled coffee can send you into a nosedive someday, right? So what does God do? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to us. By God's working through His powerful Word and Spirit, nothing can move us from God-given faith. No matter what may come, we understand by the Holy Spirit's power that nothing trumps God's promises. Nothing outlasts God's promises. No matter what you have in this life, whether it be blessings or troubles, you know that the greater glory of God awaits. Strengthened by the Spirit, galvanized by the love God has for you, you can even, Paul says, and he pushes the point, rejoice in your suffering. They aren't good. Sufferings aren't good. But they help us to see the bigger picture. When we can't rely on good health, when we can't rely on good friends, when we can't rely on good weather, when we can't rely on dutiful children, when we can't rely on gainful employment, when we can't rely on a faithful spouse, because we know at some point these things pass away, some sooner than others. We know that eventually we lose the things in this life, but we can always rely on God's promises. We can always rely on Christ, who is raised from the dead, never to die again. So yes, the Holy Spirit gives us endurance, character, and hope that sufferings of any shape and any size will not overturn what God has done for you in Christ. And faith doesn't just blindly hope toward the future for what God will do in the future. It takes into consideration what God has done for you in the past and in the present. And what God has accomplished is considerable. Considerable. While you were God's enemy, before God planted faith in your heart, before he gave you the gospel, the power of salvation for all those who believe, before he gave you his Holy Spirit and the promise of forgiveness through water and the word, Christ died for you. Paul doesn't spend three chapters dropping bombshells for nothing. You are unrighteous, you are rebellious, you are ungodly, you don't deserve God's love or salvation, period. And you can't make amends, okay, to fix the situation. So God fixes the situation. Only he can. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you, the ungodly. Would you be willing to take a bullet for someone? Would you? Would you be willing to push someone out of the way of a car at the cost of your own life? 
Hand the last parachute to someone else as the plane goes down. You probably were thinking, depends on who the person is. Right? It depends on the person. Paul might makes the case that we might die for someone who society highly values, like a doctor who's found the cure for cancer. I don't know. We might. Yeah, it's an important person. We might be even more inclined to die for someone who has been good to us personally, like a parent, friend, spouse, the like. But Christ... He died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Rejoice. As I mentioned, Paul warns about God's coming wrath in his letter, uh, in the first part of his letter. Are you worried about Judgment Day at all? Perhaps some days you feel like Martin Luther, who upon his deathbed was found clutching a note. Actually, it was in his pocket, I believe. But anyway, he had the note that he carried around. Uh, of his standing before God. And the, and the note said, we are all beggars, this is true. Maybe when we think of the Lord's return, we can identify with words addressed to our Lord from the hymn, Abide With Me. Come not in terror as the King of Kings, but kind and good with healing in thy wings. The thought of seeing Christ in full glory throughout history, just glimpses of God's glory, they've been, well, um, unsettling. And if you look really close, you got to look really close. It's okay. It's okay. And it's a healthy, what they call filial fear. I'll do this some other time. Paul tells you that God has already accomplished the hardest thing. In his work for you and for me, Jesus has truly conquered sin and death in us, in you. He's done the hardest thing. He's poured out his spirit through word and sacrament on the ungodly. He's granted you faith. He's done the hardest thing. Faith that has taken a broken relationship between himself and people who break that relationship and made it whole. He has taken sinners who should be sentenced to death. And declared them to be spotless, blameless, perfect, righteous. He has done the hardest thing. It's perfectly fine to have a healthy, some healthy fear concerning Judgment Day. But know for certain that the faithful will rejoice on that day. They'll rejoice. Paul writes, because therefore we have now been justified by Christ's blood much more, he's already done the hardest thing, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom now we have received reconciliation. So yes, rejoicing is something that we Christians do, even during Lent. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, we rejoice in our sufferings, and we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because only in Jesus Christ is everything that Paul writes about not only possible, 
but also truly yours. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.